said, Die for me. Peter, before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you even knew me. Then Jesus and his disciples went to the Mount of Olives so Jesus could pray. Along the way, Jesus told his followers that they would all abandon him. Uh-oh. But Peter said, Even if everyone else leaves you, I never will. Jesus said, Peter, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny three times that you even know me. But Peter wouldn't believe it and vowed that he would stay with Jesus until the very end. The other disciples vowed the same. Later on that night, Jesus was arrested by men sent by the religious teachers and priests. Peter tried to fight for Jesus and he cut off the ear of one of the guards. But Jesus healed the guard and went quietly with the captors. All the disciples scattered just as Jesus told them they would. The men led Jesus away to the house of the high priest. Peter and another disciple followed them. Peter came to warm himself by their fire. Uh, A servant girl noticed him in the firelight. Finally, she said, this man was one of Jesus' followers. But Peter denied it for the first time. He said, I don't even know him. After a while, someone else looked at him and said, You must be one of them. Peter for a second time said, No, I'm not. Okay. About an hour later, a man who knew the man whose ear Peter cut off said, Didn't I see you in the olive grove with Jesus? This must be one of them. He comes from the same place as all of them. Yeah, you're right. But Peter said, No, no, no. I don't know what you're talking about. And then Peter heard the crow of the rooster. Jesus turned and looked at Peter. Jesus' words flashed through his mind, and Peter left the courtyard weeping. Then Jesus died and was placed in a tomb. The disciples heard that he had come back from the dead. Peter even saw the empty tomb and believed that Jesus was alive again. And Jesus appeared to the disciples to show him that he was alive. Some of Jesus' followers were together when Peter said, I am going fishing. Okay. So they all went out to the sea, but caught nothing all night. At dawn, they saw a man standing on the beach. Oh, hey, over here. The man called out to them and said, Have you caught any fish? Nope. The man said, Throw out your net on the right side and you'll get some. Uh, okay. So they did, and they couldn't bring in the net because there were so many fish in it. Then one of the men on the boat said to Peter, It's Jesus! When Peter heard that it was Jesus, he swam to the shore while the others pulled in the load to the boat. When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them. Mmm, I of it. Got it! Jesus said, Come have some breakfast. While they were eating, Jesus asked Peter, Do you love me? Peter said, 
Yes, you know I love you. So Jesus said, Then feed my lambs. Then Jesus asked again, Do you love me? Peter said again, Yes, you know I love you. And Jesus said, Then take care of my sheep. And then a third time, Jesus asked Peter, Do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. So he said, You know everything. You know that I love you. So Jesus said one last time, Then feed my sheep. And so Peter went on to feed Jesus' sheep by helping establish the church and by writing books that we can now read in the Bible. And though he denied Jesus, he was forgiven. And many came to know the love and forgiveness of Jesus through Peter. Following the program in the bulletin, you'll see it's time for special music, but you'll also notice there's no name there. <laughs> um, unless there's somebody here that was planning on it that we didn't know about, or somebody that's willing to do it without notice. Is there anybody? <laughs> if not, all of you are going to provide special music today, and that is going to be, we're going to sing hymn number 86 in your hymnal. So you can insert each of your names into that line that says special music. Number 86, How Great Thou Art. Why don't we stand as we sing this? Oh Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder Consider all the worlds thy hands have made I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder, thy power throughout the universe displayed. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art. And sings my soul, my Savior God to thee. How great thou art, how great thou art. Went through the woods and forest glades I wandered and hear the birds. Sweetly in the trees When I look down From lofty mountain grandeur And hear the brook And feel the gentle breeze And sings my soul My Savior God to thee how great thou art, how great thou art, and sings my soul, my Savior God.
to thee how great thou art how great thou art and when I think that God is son not sparing sent him to die I scarce can take it in that on the cross my burden gladly bearing he bled and died to take away my sin then sings my soul my Savior God to be turn in your Bibles to our scripture reading for the morning from the Gospel of John chapter 3. John chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world should be saved through him. Thank you again, Brother Steve. I really do appreciate your help. You know, I hope we all had a good week. And... uh, When I realized this morning that I will probably be the only one up here today, I thought I, um, and I'm a woman of course, so I thought I would try and exalt us women a little bit 
before I get started. So, 11 people were hanging on a rope on the helicopter, 10 men and one woman. The rope was not strong enough to carry them all, so they decided that one had to leave, because otherwise they were all going to fall. They weren't able to name that person until the woman gave a very touching speech. She said that she would voluntarily let go of the rope because, as a woman, she was used to giving everything up for her husband and kids of a men in general and was used to always making sacrifices with little in return. As soon as she finished her speech, all the men started clapping. So you know what happened to the men, eh? Sorry, men. I want you to bow your heads with me for a moment, please. Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. What matters most in your life? What matters most in mine? The greatest, most essential gift that God has given his church, the gift that contains the most divine power, is the gift of his love working in us and through us. His love was placed within us when we were saved by his grace. His love working in us and displayed one to another is the greatest testimony we have to a lost world. And that is in John thirteen thirty-five. When we walk in love one for another, we are walking in obedience to the Lord. When we walk in love one for another, we prove that we are saved by his grace. First John three fourteen. One of the problems in the church at Corinth was that they were manifesting nearly every spiritual gift in existence, but they were not working in love one for another. The Corinthians loved the flashy gifts, tongues, prophecy, and other gifts that made them look spiritual in the eyes of others. But God wanted them to come to the place where they loved each other as he loved them. 1 Corinthians 13 talks about what matters most in our lives. How smart are we? How smart we are, sorry. How wealthy, how popular, how famous, how well-liked. It doesn't matter in life. How well we love is what matters. When we learn to love as Jesus loves, we have discovered what matters most. The whole idea of 1 Corinthians verses 1 to 3 is that love is distinct from and superior to anything we can do or be. Regardless of what we do, if it's not infused with and carried out through the love of God, it is a colossal waste of time. 
Love is higher than sensational. You may be a great speaker, but that is no substitute for love, for without love, you are simply a clanging symbol. Love is higher than the spectacular. But even if a person does all these things and does not have God's love in their heart, he or she is nothing. Love is higher than the sacrificial. We can give away every single thing we own and even give up our bodies on the altar of martyrdom. But if we do so without love in our hearts, it is a waste of time and does not profit us one bit. The emphasis is clear. When love is absent, the Christian is no better than a heathen. He is nothing and can expect nothing. Regardless of what others may think of us, our abilities, or our gifts without love, it is all a spectacular waste of time. In 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 to 13, Paul gives an in-depth description of love and reveals all of its, all of its characteristics to us. These are truths that we need to be reminded of continually. His name is Bill. He has wild hair and wears a t-shirt with holes in it and jeans with no shoes. This was literally his wardrobe for his entire four years of college. He's a brilliant man, kind of esoteric, and very, very smart. He became a Christian recently while attending college. Across the street from the campus is a well-dressed, very conservative church. One day, Bill decides to go to that church. He walks in with no shoes, in jeans, t-shirt, and wild hair. The service has already started, and so Bill starts down the aisle looking for a seat. The church is completely packed. Won't it be nice if our church was like that on Sabbath? It would be. I would love it. And he can't find a seat. By now, people are looking a bit uncomfortable, but no one says or does anything. Bill gets closer and closer and closer to the pulpit. And when he realizes that there are no seats, he just squats down right on the carpet. Although this is a perfectly acceptably, acceptable behavior at a college fellowship, this has never happened at this church before. By now, the people are nearly uptight are really uptight, and the tension in the air is thick. About this time, the minister realizes that from way at the back of the church, an elder is slowly making his way toward Bill. Now the elder is in his 80s, has silver-gray hair, and wears a three-piece suit. He's a godly man. Very elegant, very dignified, and very courtly. 
He walks with a cane. And as he starts walking toward this boy, everyone is saying to themselves that you can't blame him for what he's going to do with his cane. How can you expect a man of his age and his background to understand some college kid on the floor in church? It takes a long time for the man to reach the boy. The church is entirely silent except for the clicking of the old man's cane. All eyes are focused on the elder. You can't even hear anyone breathing. The minister can't even preach the sermon until the elder does what he's about to do. And now they see this elderly man drop his cane rather than hit the young man with it on the floor. With great difficulty, he lowers himself and sits down next to Bill and worships with him so he won't be alone. Everyone chokes up with emotion. When the minister gains control of himself, he says, what I'm about to preach today, you will never remember. What you have just seen, you will never forget. Let us be careful how we live. We may be the only Bibles some people will ever read. If we are going to talk the talk, we'd better walk the walk. Paul shows us the many sides of true godly love. As if love were a great and brilliant diamond, he holds it up before us and reveals its many facets. As he does, the person of God is revealed in each gleam of light from the surface of love. It shows us that true love is patient and enduring under provocation. How many of us get upset when we're provoked? It goes forth on behalf of others with active goodness. It is not jealous over the abilities successes or possessions of others. True love does not make a parade, does not brag, does not draw attention to itself or to what it is doing. True love is not arrogant or proud. It realizes that all it has and all that it is has been given to it by God. True love is never rude. It always treats others with compassion, consideration, and respect. It is never selfish and self-centered, but is actively interested in what will profit others. True love keeps no record of evils done to it, but willingly endures all slights and injuries. True love takes no worthless inventory. First, genuine love does not attribute evil motives to people. 
It does not rejoice in sin. True love hates sin. True love does not rejoice when another falls into sin. It hates all forms of evil. It loves the truth. It rejoices when truth is proclaimed and when truth wins the victory. True love has staying power. It is a remarkable thing that never wavers or fails. It patiently endures and overlooks the faults of others. True love always places the best possible interpretation in everything that happens. It always expects the best possible outcome. It always holds out hope that things will work out right in the end. True love stands its ground and continues in spite of everything that is thrown against it. It continues in spite of persecution and ill treatment. When everything else in this world has passed away, when everything that we hold in high esteem is gone, when knowledge and spiritual gifts no longer matter, true love will still exist. It is the great constant throughout eternity. The Bible tells us that there are three things that abide, faith, hope, and love. Yet faith and hope are encompassed inside of love. Therefore, the greatest thing a believer can possess is love. The greatest thing we can possess, all of us here, is love. If our love is right, our hope is in the right place. When our love is right, we are right. What makes love so great? Love is the defining characteristic of who God is. 1 John 4, 8 When the Bible wanted to describe God in one sentence, it said, God is love. So in conclusion, and I made this really short today because I didn't think any of us would be here. (laughs) I'm just joking. In conclusion, for just a moment, take all of the things you value today and set them aside. Forget about your talents your intelligence, your gifts, your potential, your achievements, and anything else you want to mention. Now, forgetting all those other things, how well do you love? Do you love God more than anything else in this world? Do you love others as God loves them? Is there room for improvements in your or my life, or have you figured it out? Love is an effort. It's not easy to always love. But it is an effort, something we must do in order to love God and go home to heaven with him. Let us actively express God's love everywhere, making a difference. And let us keep in mind that if we are going to talk the talk, 
I said this already. We must love. We had better walk the walk. And just before we're done, I want to read a poem. And I think this is a very beautiful poem by Maya Angelou. And she says, when I say that I'm a Christian, how many of us proclaim to be Christians but don't love? I hope none of us. When I say that I'm a Christian, I'm not shouting that I'm clean living. I'm whispering I was lost, but now I'm found and forgiven. When I say I am a Christian, I don't speak of this with pride. I'm confessing that I stumble and need Christ to be my guide. When I say I am a Christian, I'm not trying to be strong. I'm professing that I'm weak and need his strength to carry on. When I say I am a Christian, I'm not bragging of success. I'm admitting I have failed and need God to clean my mess. When I say I am a Christian, I'm not claiming to be perfect. My flaws are far too visible, but God believes I'm worth it. When I say I am a Christian, I still feel the sting of pain. I have my share of heartaches, so I call upon his name. When I say I am a Christian, I'm not holier than thou. I'm just a simple sinner who received God's good grace somehow. You know, in life, we carry the name of Christ on our shoulders when we call ourselves Christians. So let us watch our thoughts. They become words. Let us watch our words, for they become actions. Let us watch our actions, for they become habits. And let us watch our habits, for they become characters. Let us watch our characters, for they become our destiny. And you know, I personally feel that we can't do any of these things without love. We can't just say we love. We have to prove that we love. We have to walk that walk every day. And I'm just not talking to you all. I'm talking to myself. You know, there are times, and Clint can tell you, especially if I'm watching a little news and things seem really wicked and bad to me, uh, you know, I talk to the TV. And uh, then he says to me, you know they can't hear you, eh? I said, yeah, but I feel better saying it. Or, you know, I, I would like to maybe get a little strap or something and give them a little whipping. But that's not going to work. That's not going to happen. But I'm, I would like to emphasize, and like I said, I'm talking to myself as well, that we need to love the way Jesus loves. And without that, we cannot convince others of Christ's love. So we are going to sing our closing song. Sister Rosie, where are you? <laughs>